I want to just say it's an honor to have you here tonight. We've been looking forward to this weekend for a long time. Um, as we were praying, I said that we're going to be talking more about God and what he's doing than we are about the impending weather, right? The weather and, and the concerns about the weather. We're going to be talking about what God is doing in this place. Amen? And I want to just say that also it's important for us to know that God is invested. This is called Freedom Weekend. God is very invested in our freedom. You know that? You know that God, it is God's will for you to be free? And I think a lot of times it really comes down to this. I mean, if you want to just boil it way down, Jesus said something like this, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There's something about the difference between a truth and a lie and what you believe about it. That's sort of at the core of spiritual warfare. And so we're going to just be delving into the truth and what the truth is about our situation and what Jesus has done related to our situation. And through that, freedom will come. I believe that. Amen? And so uh, tonight's going to be a great night. Tomorrow we meet at 9. Is it 9? Uh, please plan on being here. Uh, it's just, you know, each each session is going to be like unraveling a piece of this these elements of freedom. So I, I would just encourage you as much as is possible, be here, uh, be invested, be focused, and God's going to do great things. So I want to turn it over to the leaders of uh, the weekend as it relates to ministering directly to you. And so um, I, I want to say that also – uh, years ago, I went through something like this, and it brought great freedom to my life. That's why we decided to have LL Ministries come. I first went up there about a year ago in February and had the uh, opportunity to meet some of the team there, uh, including Kent Bandy, and, and he's going to be ministering tonight. So I want to just um, – I think it's important for us to honor people, you know. We need to honor people. So would you, if you – especially if you're from Faith Chapel, would you just give a warm – Faith Chapel, wel welcome to Kent as he comes to minister to us. Everybody, it's a great privilege to be here with you. And... Uh, I just want to take a minute to introduce our team and uh, just let you know that um, sometimes, you know, when you, you meet a ministry, you're inclined to set them up as like, well, they're the, they're the all healed up people. They're the perfect people that please don't do that with us. Okay. <laughs> we'll let you down. But let me introduce our team. We're actually here to, to bring God's heart in any way that we can. Up here in the front row, this is Matt Moore. He's the director of LL Ministries US. He's come all the way up from uh, now. It's. It's, it's so great to have, it's, um, it's nice that Matt and I get to connect here, but go easy on him because he came from Florida to the snowstorm, okay? So his, his blood's a little thin, so just, just careful. Over here on my right, your left, this is George. George and his wife, Tracy, serve in our ministry. Now, uh, you met Megan, kind of-ish, and then Alicia may have greeted you. Where's Alicia? She's, she's at the back, actually. And so this is our team for the weekend, if you want to... Get to know them, ask questions, and uh, we want to tell you a little bit of, about our ministry 
And uh, I'm going to do some of that. Matt's going to do some of that. And we're happy to share with you. But what, what's happened in the ministry is actually God has called each of us without telling us the fine print of what it means to say yes. And once you say yes to the Lord, you're in for an, if you're scared shitless, you're going to lose everything valuable. But what you don't realize is he gives you what you could never buy. And, and you're actually humbled at the ridiculous price that you put up to let go of your junk in order to inherit the, the goods of the kingdom. That's the short version of our testimony. You can ask for more detail at any point in time. Many years ago, Matt will tell you more of the full story. Many years ago, a man named Peter Horbin was actually ob rather obsessed with restoring an old car. And God spoke to him about if he should be invested in uh, restoring broken cars or restoring broken people. And the theme verse that he gave him for LL Ministries is from Luke 9-11. Jesus welcomed the people. He taught them about the kingdom. And then he healed those in need. When we talk in the body of Christ about welcoming we understand the fundamental need of every human being for love and acceptance. We get that. The teaching part, though, is so many of us think, yes, we know, yes, we know. I thought I knew. And I had no clue that I needed healing. So in other words, I started at a place where I needed the love. I didn't think I needed to know. And I had no idea how much healing I needed. Now, you guys, you're not in that place, thankfully, because you already know and you're all healed up and you're here to learn how to help other people. We, we get, I'm through with that. But, and I'm not just here to burst your bubble. I'm here to let you know that we all start in the fundamental place. And tonight we're going to just explain through a little bit of a drama we, or a little bit of a skit we like to do that helps explain how the kingdom of God works, how it affects us, and how God's plan for healing begins to roll out in our lives. The sooner we understand it, the sooner God can start to really rebuild and rework our lives. There's a fundamental question that seems to be floating around both inside and outside the body of Christ that many of us don't know how to answer. And, and the fundamental question is this, if God is good, why does this good God allow, are you listening? What's the rest of the question? Why does he allow Do you know the answer to that question? Well, we may all have a different bid. But let me ask you, is your bid based on your experience? Is it based on the Internet? Is it based on Oprah? God bless Oprah. Or is it based on the Word of God? It's always a good question to ask and to check your own opinions. Did I get those from here, from here, from here, or from here? These ones, reliable. These ones and these ones, not so reliable. You okay? So we're going to do our best this weekend to show you from the Word of God how His healing works, okay? So if you open your Bibles to the first, actually, part of Genesis, Genesis 1, verse 1, it goes like this. Some of you may know by memory. It says, in the beginning... So that was kind of weak. So um, I mean that in a loving way. But in the beginning, who? God did what? 
Okay, stop. If your Bible says something different, get rid of it, get a new Bible. It says that God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then what's it say? Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we see this empty nothingness, and the Spirit of God comes down and births the most amazing creation out of nothing. It's not like he takes uh, material matter and makes more material matter. He literally births the material matter out of nothing. You turn and look at the person sitting next to you. God made them out of nothing. Let me slow this down for you. So the Spirit of God, he came and he hovered over where there was nothing. And he birthed life. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll find out that's who God is. That's what he does. And he hasn't changed throughout his creation. And just as he birthed life at creation, he loves to birth life, but he also loves to redeem and rebirth life when he gets broken by sin. Let me tell you how the story begins. We're going to start, I'm going to ask Pastor Jim to come up here. In our little demonstration, uh, Pastor Jim is going to play God. Because uh, uh, you can stand over here, please. Well, there's a reason, actually. We, he said, look, if you guys want to come to Faith Chapel, I get to play God in this gift. So, so we're, that's not what he said. All right, so, and uh, I hope, as there's going to be a few scriptures that we put up on the screen, and they move along a little quickly, but I hope it kind of gives you the, the gist of it. The, the, as we demonstrate this, I just encourage you to take a mental snapshot because the Lord will use it to help you see some things both in your world and in the world and begin to make some sense of it. So the scripture says that in the beginning, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. The, the Genesis account immediately goes into describing the rest of what seems to happen right then and there with rocks and trees and land and then animals and eventually mankind made in his image. But when you read the rest of the scripture, when it says that God created the heavens and the earth, apparently he created the heavenly beings inside that little window. But it doesn't show up until later in the scripture. And I can show you where that is. So where's Jim? Come on up here, buddy. One of the heavenly beings that God created was more handsome than all the others. Your laughter's really helping right now. And the scripture teaches, actually, that God ordained him with every precious jewel, that he made him more beautiful than all the other creatures, and then he gave him two very, very important gifts. The first one, do you have the costume up there? There. The first one, I mean, we love you guys. I just want to say your money is kind of burning. You need some color. Anyways, go with green. So <laughs> he didn't literally give him money, but we're going to use the money to represent power. In our world, money represents power, would you say? Okay, so we're not saying God gave this angel money. We're saying he gave him power. Let me go ahead. You can give it to him. And when he gives him power, he gives him the ability and the strength to do things. Okay? But then the second thing he gave him was actually very important. Do you have those keys with you? Okay. So these keys, go ahead. They represent authority. First thing is what? Power. It's the strength and ability to do something. Second thing is authority. It's the right to use your hands. 
explain it this way. If you have um, a Chevy pickup, you have 57 horsepower under the hood. I'm just kidding. That was the biggest Chevy. You may have hundreds of horsepower under the hood, but you have the authority to drive at 55 on the interstate, right? You can be very strong as an individual. You have lots of power in your muscles, but it, you don't have the authority to strike an under another individual on the street, okay? You can be really strong physically, but you don't have the other. You don't have the authority to restrain another individual. That's called unlawful confinement. You track me? Power is might, strength, and gifts, and that kind of thing. Authority is the ability to use them. And what it says in the scripture, in Ezekiel, I don't know if we have those scriptures to pull up in Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. It actually says that he gave him all of these gifts, and then he set him up as like an anointed guardian cherub. In other words, he puts him up on the, in the sense, in the lead. And it's interesting, he puts him over leaders of the worship. And when he puts him in that place, you can look this up, by the way, in Ezekiel 28, it says that everything was going well until his heart became proud. And in essence, what he said was, hey, why should this be all about him? I want it to be about He says, I will lift my throne above the stars as well. I don't know if it says Zuri, and I don't think it was 15. So here it says, you're in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Top, uh, ruby, topaz, emerald, crystal, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountains were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Can I have the next one, please? Next slide, please. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. <coughs> and then it begins to describe. For your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth, and I made a spectacle of you uh, before kings. In other words, this beautiful angel, his name is Lucifer, his heart became corrupted. And so God came, and he stripped him of his authority. Take your keys. And he, and he kicks him out of heaven. No, you don't take that. You let him keep that. Way you go. And he kicks him out of heaven. Well done. Okay. Now, it's just in the scripture. Also, look at Isaiah chapter uh, 14. Also, look at Romans chapter, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 12. There was a war in heaven, this dragon, right? And when the dragon fell, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky. Now, if you don't have to be a mathematician when you read that to realize, wait a minute, if his tail took out a third of the angels when he fell, and God retains two-thirds of the angels, that means one-third, two-thirds, we win if it's all about size and power. God is all-powerful. But I want to show you something. It's not just about the power. It's about something bigger. So I want to have my uh, three volunteers and my volunteers please come up here, my body, soul, and spirit. Genesis 1, chapter 26, or verse 26 and 27 says that God made man in his image. We believe that the scriptures teach that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
And so in his image, he's made us like him. Thank you, ladies, for the T-shirts. That's very helpful. Take one step forward, please, and come on over this to your right. Oh, yeah, well, this is right. Good. So when God made man in his image, God is the one who breathed life, right? He makes Adam physically, but then he breathed life into Adam. It's very important. So when we're made in his image, if God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, what the Bible teaches in different places, actually, is that we are, we have a body. This is your physical part again. You, you have one of those? Okay. And then you have, you are also, where your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your mind. You have one of those. You can imagine I was hoping for a little stronger response just then. Everybody have a will. Not a written will, but a will. And you have emotions. Even if they're locked in a box from Odoshi, you have them somewhere. Okay? But guess what? You're also spirit. And this is the core of who you are. Your spirit is your identity. Your spirit is masculine or feminine. Scripture says that he made us masculine or feminine. Those, those little aspects. Sin can break people into a whole bunch of broken pieces. But God made us masculine and feminine. So at the spirit level, you are male or female. This is the part of you. This is where creativity flows out of. This is where worship flows out of. When Jesus had a conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he actually says the Father's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And he's talking about this spirit-to-spirit connection. You okay? All right. So this is the core of who you are. And in the garden, Adam and Eve communed with God in a face-to-face, spirit-to-spirit communion. And everything was fine. Now here's what you need to know about Adam and Eve. That they had such a great communion with God that they were completely naked. It's not just a Hollywood weird version or perverted version of naked. It means emotional, spiritual, mental and physical transparency. In other words, there, was, there weren't any barriers between them and the world. Okay? What does God give mankind in Genesis chapter 1? He makes the world, and then he says, I want you to rule over it and subdue it. In other words, he takes authority over the world, and he gives it to mankind to steward. You can put it in the sheet if you like. There we go. We still have, at least God still has the keys. That's good. So who made the world? Who stewards the world? See that? He's creator, but he gives it to us. He says, I want you to populate it. I want you to rule over it. I want you to subdue it. Now, when Satan fell out of heaven, what did he lose? His authority. Mankind has authority given to them by God. So he comes along with some sort of, you got it, there it is. Yeah, just so, so he says this is probably a Starbucks cup in order for it to be forbid, forbidden fruit. <laughs> and uh, he begins to tempt Eve's soul. Did you hear her body? I don't like coffee. But did you hear her soul? I live for coffee. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. 
And, and what, what ends up happening? Because he tells Eve, if you drink from this, if you eat this forbidden fruit, first he says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And he takes God's word and he twists it and he perverts it so that it seems unfair and unreasonable. Tell me if he's ever tried this with you. He's tried it with me anyway. The problem is he tells Eve, you will be like God. And guess what? She already was. She was created in the image of God. But somehow he could tempt a woman who had everything and convince her that God was holding out on her. And so when she took, go ahead, you take of the cup. Greg, you know what to do. Grab, no, grab a hold of her. Now, what happens? It looks funny. Adam and Eve, they blamed each other, but Adam and Eve gave authority over the whole world to Satan. Now it's a world that God created but it's a world that he has authority over because we gave him authority. You say, this is a hard pill to swallow. But if you watch very closely in the early chapters of Matthew, it talks about Jesus going into the wilderness and he's tempted by him. He takes him up on a very high place and he says these words to him. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. So Lucifer shows Jesus, the son of God, all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give all these kingdoms to you because they're mine to give to whoever I want. We missed this one. Now, what does Jesus say? He folds his arms and says, no, they they belong to my Father in heaven. That's not what he says. He doesn't refute the point that he made. But he also refuses to submit to his authority. This is very important, guys, because this helps answer our question. God made the world. We gave authority over it to Satan. And he loves to destroy and pervert and try and kill everything that's full of life and color and vitality that God created. You give it to God, he can bring life on it. You give it to him, he'll bring death on it. So when he gets authority, death comes into creation. Sickness comes into creation. Right? And here's the troubling thing. When I first saw, learned this story, I thought, man, okay, I, I'm getting this. It's slowly starting to trickle. And then I suddenly was introduced to this question. If sin gave him authority over the world, when does sin stop giving him authority? It never does. Please hear me. It never does. Today, if I make a decision to submit to him, I give him authority to my home. My wife comes under an absolute battle spiritually because I've submitted part of my life to another God. I can do it through pornography. I can do it through all kinds of, I can mess around with money in illegitimate ways. I can get into all kinds of stuff, and I'm not immune to that. I, as a man, I'm, temptation does come to me. I know what it's like. But I also understand this. When I choose to submit to him, I'm not immune to his authority. 
Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I'm not saying I'm forgetting. I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually demystify why is there such hell going on in our world that God created? It's because we've given the keys to it, to the king of darkness. And the king of light is waiting for us to take it back. So here's something else you need to know. God has not moved in this story. But as soon as they gave Satan, came under Satan's authority, it brought a division to them. What's the first thing Adam and Eve did? They hid and they were scared of him. He's perfect in love. They've known him completely, and all of a sudden they're scared of him. And that ain't good. And so the first thing that they do is hide. This, my friends, is human nature. We don't live our lives in the open. We hide. What do you want to do when you screw up? Let's say, if you ever screw up. Okay, a long time ago when you screwed up. What did you want to do? Who wanted, who wanted to be known? Who wanted to be seen? No, not me. Any of you guys? What, it's okay. What do we do when we screw up? We hide. So just, just no shame. Just know that that's human nature. It's not God's nature. God issued light. In him there's no darkness at all. So here's what's interesting. God comes to Adam and Eve, and he asks them a question. You know what's the question? Where are you? Now, God's all-knowing, but he knew darn well where they were. First step that they needed was for them to realize where they were. God doesn't come to ask us questions to solicit information. He comes to ask us questions so that we can enter into his reality. Out of our unreality into his reality. Sometimes the most painful part of starting the healing journey is admitting that you need help. In other words, admitting that you need him. And so what does God do? Adam and Eve cover up and hide. And if you read in Genesis chapter 3, it talks about all of the repercussions all of a sudden, now there's trouble in their relationship with the earth. There's trouble in their relationship with each other. There's trouble for her to bring life into the world. Why? Because she is the life giver. He's the one who made their life and their relationship that way and her body that way. But under his authority, giving birth to life is now incredibly difficult. You see that? Now life coming into the world is incredibly strange. Why? Because he absolutely hates the life that he came to bring. Right? God's hands are not tied. Genesis 3.21 actually says that God's, so Adam and Eve are covered up with fig leaves, right? You're thinking, well, he's really powerful. He's strong. He could make the fig leaves kind of like, like he could do a little, what is it? Uh, I don't know. He could do a little, little blessing on them. Like he could make them look like something, couldn't he? See, if, if God blessed the fig leaves, he blessed Adam and Eve's effort to cover them. Like he would have been saying, there, there, you take care of it. You got it covered. I'm going to leave you in it. When does a loving father say to his kids, you got a mess, and I'm going to leave you in it? No, no. 
says in Genesis 3.29, God put and he made clothing of skin for Adam and Eve. What do we know about skin? It does not grow on trees, vines, or in the ground. Skin grows on animals. So that means that there was a sacrifice of life and the shedding of blood to make a covering for Adam and Eve's sin. Why is that important? This is new language to you. What it means is that God was making a statement right there at the beginning that he would make provision then and throughout time to actually redeem man's sin. But he's also telling them this thing. You can't cover this yourself. I'm the only one who can make a covering for your sin. You okay? Okay, you did say amen. All right. So are God's, are God's hands tied? Not at all. Because God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God sends his son. So Matt couldn't come up here and play Jesus because he said he had to. No, I'm just kidding. So Matt's going to stand in this gap right here. You guys wink on him. So because Jesus said, I and the Father are one, what happens is when Jesus actually invites us, let's, let's actually link our, that goes for a sec. Hold your hand out like this, if you would. When Jesus invites us into relationship with him, we de decide. And that's always an easy decision, isn't it? No. We're afraid what he's going to take away, aren't we? You're going to make me into one of those freaks? What are you going to do to me? But the good news is, once we welcome Jesus into our life, then this is dealt with. He runs away, and no, nothing ever happens again, right? It's just all automatic. I used to think that, I was, that it was automatic. I was really surprised by the strongholds in my life. After I was a believer, because I now have the authority in Jesus, I thought that this was automatically dealt with. You know what? Now I have the ability to deal with his authority. But it's a choice that gets to happen to me. You follow what I'm saying? What he'll try to do, though, is he'll try to sell me on a different cut. He'll say, will you give in to this? And in my, sometimes in my flesh, my soul and my body, I'll say yes. And so he tries to pull. Now, ladies, don't you link arms. Go ahead. You pull. I know. I know you don't. <laughs> but you don't, don't let go. You don't want to go with him, but you made the decision to give him authority. So, so zip it, sweetheart. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> and what you get, actually, guys, is you, you, what we have a, a decision where we've invited Christ into our lives. We've given him some authority. But the funny thing is, we actually haven't let go of this. And so he still has authority. And you get this tug of war going on inside of you. Has anybody experienced this? And so on one hand, you want to do what God wants you to do. And on the other hand, you just want to go with what, the, what comes naturally and go with the world. And sometimes you even want to read your Bible and have the Bible justify what you do naturally so you can live his way with his blessing on it. Well, here's the, here's the challenge. You can, you can fight the double-mindedness or the schizophrenia of this. You can't get God's blessing living for his authority. But I have learned, and I, I, I promise I've experimented with this. This is the most miserable way to live your life. Because you actually have too much of God to enjoy your sin in your life. But then you got too much of him to enjoy God in your life. 
fall in our sins. Now, don't be condemned because there's reasons. If this was simple, most of us would be on our knees in a heartbeat, get it dealt with if that's what was needed. The challenging thing is, and this is going to trouble you a little bit, but let me be honest. Can I have your permission to be honest with you? He was your daddy until you came to God. A father will give you a sense of identity. What kind of identity did he give you? What kind of names did he call you? He'll build belief systems inside of his children. That's what good parents do. What kind of belief system did he build inside of you? You're weak. You're worthless. I'm not, I'm giving these as examples. I'm not reinforcing anything. Now, what ends up happening is actually, and we're going to call her Megan because Megan is spirit. Actually, the funny thing is he's hanging out a little bit that actually she's used to listening to his lies. Her father in heaven speaks through the spirit to actually tell her who she really is. And what does she do? She shakes her head back and forth saying, no, that's not who I am because she's used to listening to his lies. You following what I'm saying? Sometimes what can happen, it's because Megan, actually, can we do one minute or two if whatever's comfortable? Let's say that Megan's earthly daddy was abusive. He could have been abusive in his violence or he could have been abusive in his absence, or maybe he's there physically, but he's emotionally checked out. And the thing is, the presence of a mom and dad actually build us up in our spirit so that we become strong on the inside. So here's Meg. She's crushed as a little kid. Could be through daddy's discipline. God forbid, sometimes fathers do incredibly great things or incredibly terrific things. But what can end up happening is she's in a relationship with God. Now, when Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is trying to get to his brain a later. How is it that a man is born again and crawls back inside his mama and gets first or second chance? And Jesus goes, Nicodemus, you're kind of stuck in physical here, buddy. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. That's why I tell you, you must be born again. When you come into relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son, and yes, that's the only way, what happens is you are reconciled to God through the sons. And actually, let's, if we did this accurately, if you put their hands together, put her, here's what happens. Is that Jesus, now he, hold on to me. Jesus reconciles us to the Father. And he's pouring his love into his daughter, saying, you're special. I sent my son to die for you. He, when he suffered on the cross, he actually did it. But what's she doing? is that she still has authority in her belief and in the power of her Jesus through the crushing, right, and the neglect. This is not something you can tell Megan, Martin, up and fix. But it is something that she can acknowledge and say, this is who I am. And this is where I'm at. And when she brings that broken heart to God, you think his hands are tied and he doesn't answer? Not at all. Actually, as she brings this broken heart to God, spirit, the, the Bible says actually that the Lord is close to those that are crushed in spirit. And that word crushed doesn't mean they've got a little fist there. 
attempt to rebuild Nehemiah's argument again. Does that make sense? When Megan understands who she is in God's eyes, this part of it is interesting. Notice the height difference. This, it's okay. No, no, no. Well, there's nothing wrong. It's beautiful. You are tall. Yes. <coughs> you are. Yeah, it's, you're tall. Yes. We're changing the subject. Hope you don't mind. All right, so, but I want you to see that God's heart is that this be the strongest part of her, not the weakest part of her. You think of the Spirit of God, how much of a weakling is Holy Spirit? No, no. You're created in His image. Your strength doesn't come from your own walk. Your strength comes from Him. But if He's allowed to heal you and build you up, what He will do is He will give you strength in your spirit. He will make you strong at your core. This is where your identity is. This is where your creativity flows out of. This is where your worship flows out of. This is where love and rest and refreshing touches you the deepest. He won't cancel your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's a part of you that he created and he allows. But it's meant to operate in sync or in balance with the rest of you. Now, let me tell you something. Your body does not have a mind of its own. Your body manifests what's going on inside. Let's back up a little bit. Megan, could you go down on one knee again? Come back and do the authority again. Thank you. If you're going to take that cup, you do. Grab a hold of it. Okay? And I want you to just hang your head down for two minutes, okay? Take me down. You okay? If Megan believes that she doesn't have what it takes, that she's not loved, or that she's a loser, whatever the case may be, you put pressure on her at work. See, the pain here brings a crushing oppression to the mind, right, to the emotions, and to the will. This part of her starts to break down. She'll go to the doctor to get this part of her fixed. If you can just hang your head a little bit. There you go. She'll go to the doctor and say, Doc, can you fix this? Doc says, what's going on here? You've got too much stress in your life. And she says, what? It's my boss. No, it's my husband. It's definitely the mind, for sure. So it's my boss, it's my husband, and my pastor doesn't get me. Why does she talk that way? Because she's speaking out of a wound. Because she's been crushed by male authority in a way that hurt her. And so she reacts to male authority. You follow what I'm saying? And every male authority in her life knows it except me. Why? Because she can't realize that she's looking at the world through her wound. Right? Don't condemn her. She's just like me. She's just like you. God sees exactly what's happening here. She's not bad. It's worse. And what you need to know is the wounds that happen to us are different than the wounds that happen through. Because most of us, when we're sinned against, then we sin out of that pain. So Megan could have all kinds of addictions that she's vulnerable to, temptations she feels weak to fight, because she feels not only weak to it, but because she's trying to cope with the pain somehow. Does that make sense? Lots of people struggle with addiction, and they want to stop the behavior. But if you can get God to heal the pain of why that addiction actually works, 
it'll set them free. They can make choices then at a whole different level. Can it be a battle? Yes. Does it still have a grip in their mind and their body? Absolutely. But the fact of the matter is most of us who are vulnerable to addiction are overeating, overdrinking, going to pornography, whatever addiction we're going to, we're going to something to make us feel better. That is a problem. The deeper problem is why do you feel bad in the first place? Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be honest. So often we tell each other, okay, you got to suck it up. Have you not read the self-help guide? And we quote that scripture to each other. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Guess what? It's not the Bible. Write that down. Write a note on your palm. That is not in the Bible. God did not send his son to sacrifice his life so you could help yourself. Don't worry, Jesus, I got it. Dumb, 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 dumb. You may have been taught that by, your, by the God of this world. You were not taught that by the king. What needs to happen here is Megan needs your help as the body of Christ. Because she has Jesus. She'll know what to do with him. If she doesn't know how to get his spirit into the core of who she is, she's tried to stuff it into her mind. She's tried to stuff it into her body now. But her body's breaking down. She can't figure out, why am I sick? I've got the Lord. I've been baptized with the spirit. I've spoken in tongues, whatever she's done. I've worked a bazillion hours. I can work anybody under the table. Not, not in a proud way. But maybe she feels it's salvation through works. The fact of the matter is her spirit is being stuffed, whether through neglect, and sooner or later, she'll tell you about it. The first person who will probably know is her husband. Why? Because he's trying to love her. And he knows the love is supposed to get in here, but it can't get past here. You follow what I'm saying? If this is a man, first one to know is who? His wife. When I minister to couples, I ask, do you know that your husband is, in, is a wounded hero? Women always say, no. That's not what she says. She says, yeah, but I don't have a husband. I've been trying to help him for years. Does that make sense? This is not to condemn these things. This is demystifying. Why sometimes does our faith hit the lid of our heart? It's because we need to learn the keys of the kingdom to set each other free. This is discipleship. She already has come to faith in Christ. But her identity has not been rebuilt. You follow what I'm saying? This is your job to rebuild with her. And to help her. It could be the physical symptom that leads you to the emotional pain that points you to this. Then you help her to bring this to her Father in heaven. And as she submits to him, go ahead, you submit to him. You say a big yes that way, and you keep getting there. Then her soul needs to come in line with him, and her body follows what's going on there. So what can happen sometimes is you can pray for her to be healed here, and her body will heal, and you didn't even ask. Why? Because she dealt with places where she had authority, Yes, there's decisions she made that could be her own sin. Then there's also growing up in his world 
That's imperative for us. But then there's also the sin that happens against us. In all three cases, it gets in the face. Do you follow what I'm saying? Does it make her a bad Christian? Does she feel like one now? Absolutely. So then we also need to talk about the fact shame. Because shame does a number on who we are. It really presents a lid so we can't step into who God has made us to be. Now this this long drawn out explanation is to explain one simple verse. In James chapter 4 verse 7, the Bible does not say resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible says submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The hardest point of your life is not the resistance, it's the submission. When you're resisting and he won't run, that's just a sign to tell you there's a place where he has authority. We want to deal with that somehow with our Father in heaven, with the help of friends, so that that authority is broken. And then you go home, and what do you do? You take the new authority that Christ has here, and now your home is brought under new authority. Your marriage is brought under new authority. Your parenting is brought under new authority. The way you conduct yourself at work, under new authority. There's new management here, enemy. We are now doing this business God's way. Now, don't be surprised if you say, I'm going to do business God's way, then you buckle your seatbelt and you just all hell is going to break loose. Why? Because if he's been your daddy and you're taking it away from him, you're going to get resistance. The enemy is no match for your father in heaven. If you want the, the, the tough choice, yeah, <laughs> the tough choice is, do I really want to submit to him? Most of us are too scared to. So we run to the end of our rope until we're absolutely desperate. And then we say yes. So I guess I'll say a blessing on you. May you get to the end of your rope really fast. <laughs> but what I want to tell you guys is God is still way better than you can imagine. We have heartaches in our world because the enemy has authority. The only solution is for us in, in the name of Jesus to take back and to deal with his authority first in our lives, then in our homes, then in our businesses and our schools and our communities. Do I believe that that can happen? Yes, and it can. But the thing is, we can't sit and wait sit and wait, but sit with our arms folded, look at God and say, God, how come you're not doing something? The question is, how soon do we want to get to the end of the rope and say, Lord, I've been covering this long enough myself. I've been trying to manage, hide, medicate, do whatever. Sometimes the first kind of coming out is, you know, I've had to talk to my wife. She's had to talk to me. I had to go to friends who, who I love and trust and say, look, this is the thing that's standing in the way. I just flung it out in the open. That's going to terrify me first. And you really start to break through the fear in that confession and say, this is me. No more hiding. No more blame. This is me. And that's exactly, and that's what you have to tell the world. That's the key when you bring it to God and say, Father, I need you in this area of my life. It's not like he says, really? I didn't know. No, he actually uses the pain in your marriage to show you where you need him. He doesn't cause the pain in your marriage. You cause the pain. 
But he uses the pain of your marriage to show you where you need him. Right? Because you get two broken people touching each other's brokenness. What happens? No one knows. No one in this church knows how that works. No one here has experienced. Are you all single? (coughs) I'm just kidding. What happens? You get two broken people. They start touching each other at a very deep level. So if Megs was married, her husband would touch that. And what would happen? That part would go boom. And her wounds would touch his wounds. And that would go boom. And the two of them could go to A to Z in conflict in two seconds or less. Because they're incompetent? No. Because they don't understand conflict resolution skills? No. Because you've got two broken people. And they touch each other's lives at a very intimate level. And as soon as they do, they touch the brokenness in each other. You follow what I'm saying? So often what we do in the church is we feel like we've got to teach Meg and her husband conflict resolution skills. And I'm all for conflict resolution. But when we try to teach those conflict resolution skills and they do take them and they do understand them, they try to put those skills into practice as broken people. And so they still hit the lid of their own lack of wholeness in the Lord. You follow what I'm saying? So the limit now is not just education. Education has a place. But discipleship and wholeness has a different place to set people free to actually use the education they have already. So don't stop educating. Don't stop discipling. Because Jesus came and he said, look, go into the world and make disciples. He said, I've given you authority. In fact, he said, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Snatch them out from under his grace. Disciple his fathering out of them. They're adopted into a new family. Help them live right. Right? Help them understand God's new identity, God's new name. Deal with his authority in every area of their life. And then as you do, drive sickness out of them. This is how Jesus heals. Because the enemy had no authority in his life. Is that okay? All right, thank you guys. Why don't you give them a hand? You guys can take your seats. <laughs> I hope you can take a mental snapshot. And I, I want you to, let's put up a couple of boundaries here for you. As, as people who are here tonight interested, some of you might be inclined to um, throw up a wall and say, it's not for me. And that's okay, you're welcome to make that decision. I just want to ask if, if this is God's redemption plan for the world, why wouldn't it be for you? The other side of it is sometimes we can um, lean too hard on that fire gospel side where we go, okay, I've got to clean up my act now. And then because that's such a default setting, that's where you go to guilt and condemnation. And I, wanna, I just want to kind of push back against you a little bit and say, hang on a second. The key that I'm trying to describe to you is not that you clean up your act or that you stink as a follower of Christ. But you know that little lie where you've asked yourself, hmm, is this as good as it gets? Is this as good as God gets? Is this all he can do? 
first or my second is perfect? And my answer would simply be no, no, no. I want to leave you tonight on a very simple, very powerful prayer. On the way in tonight, Alicia would have handed you our Lordship Book Month. Let me tell you why this is important here. Healing begins with the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It doesn't mean you're making the decision, he gets to be a passenger, you get to drive, call the shots, and he rides along and blesses you and tells you what a good driver you are. That's not true. You stink as a driver. I've seen some of you drive. No, that's not true. Actually, lordship is saying, I am not even in the side seat holding one wheel telling you where to go. Lordship is saying, I, I want a makeover, and I want you leading. If I was made by God, for God, and have a relationship with God, and I was raised by a father who's the enemy of God, maybe I have no idea what it's like to be in relationship with God. Maybe you're partway along the journey, and you get to know, you've heard that God is good, but you're still questioning it. Or maybe you're farther along the journey, and you've said, I know God is good. I know Jesus needs to be in control. So I just have one hand on the wheel, and I sit next to him and tell him where to go. And every, I only take over once in a while. Let me just describe to you where this begins. This is not a quick fix. This prayer is simply praying through some of the key areas of your life to say, Lord, I want to surrender this to you. It's a beginning, not an end. It's an invitation to say, Lord, would you come into this area of my life? And I want you to be Lord. I want your authority in this area of my life. I want your rule and your reign. Let me just explain it to you. The kingdom of God is ruled by a king. The king's name is Jesus. What's under his authority becomes the kingdom of God. But what's not under his authority belongs to another person. When I came into L.A. Mac, the Lord led me to a passage of the scripture. And he said, Kent, where you're going, there's no room for two. At that point, I'd been a, a pastor for just 12 years. And to be honest, I didn't think I was all that, but I thought I was traveling kind of lucky. I had no clue the amount of authority that the enemy had in my life still from all the crap that I tried to manage myself and cover myself. When I first was led to pray this, I thought, sure, I can pray that. But what I didn't realize is there should be some fine print underneath here. Warning, God will answer. When God answers, he's not coming to rob you. He's, he's coming to bring you the life that you were meant to have. But if you've spent all these years trying to manage and try to control and try to keep this thing going in the right direction, it's very hard to give up that control. We're very afraid of letting go. I mean, we're Western culture. We're control freaks. This is the United States of America and your family in Canada. We are control freaks. We could teach control. Right? So to let go of that doesn't mean that you go crazy. It means that your life has new potential to come into God's hands. Healing 
is restoring the rule and reign of Jesus in every area of a person's life. This is a simple prayer to say, Lord, in every area of my life, I want you to be Lord. If you have that and you'd like to pray it with me, I invite you to do that. But you, could, you, you say, well, what's going to happen to me? God's going to answer you. Could be tonight, could be tomorrow. Matt's going to talk about, he's going to unpack that this in further detail. He's going to answer all your questions, by the way. If you have questions, ask Matt. But uh, as a first step, you're saying, Lord, this is my heart attitude and where I want to go. But then you show me the way to get there. And as we unpack different pieces tonight and tomorrow, the Lord, the Holy Spirit will speak to you different steps where he wants you to say yes. And you'll find yourself breaking free of things that you didn't realize you needed to break free of. Not because you didn't get this as a believer. Not because you, you didn't, you know, you don't have what it takes. But because God has what it takes and he's on a redeeming mission to actually rescue, heal, and restore your life. Is that okay? Do you want to join me? I think this is a prayer we can pray on our feet. I don't know if you've had time to look at it, but I highly recommend that you do. Let me just read it for you. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge my need for you. And I just want to read it so that you can actually hear these words and engage on your own if, if, it, if you want to own this. I, and I accept you as my Savior, my Redeemer, and my Lord, and my Deliverer. If you've only experienced the Lord in one of those areas, you might want to say, I've experienced you as my Savior, but I've never experienced you as my Deliverer. Maybe I need to be delivered. I invite you now to be the Lord of the whole of my life. First thing we pray about is my mind, my attitudes, and my mental health. Then my body and my physical health. Then my spirit and my worship. In other words, all that I hold dear and precious. Lord of my family and my relationships. Lord of my sexuality and how I express that. Lord of my work and how I serve. Lord of my material goods and my needs for material goods. Lord of my finances. Lord of my emotions, reactions. Lord of my decisions, and Lord in the, uh, of the manner and time of my exit strategy. You okay? We're all in the departure lounge for heaven. We just don't know when. So if you'd like to pray this with me, prayers have meaning when you put your heart in it, which I know you can do. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge my need of you, and I accept you as my Savior my Redeemer, my Lord, and my Deliverer. I invite you now to be the Lord of the whole of my life. Lord of my mind, my attitudes, and my mental health. Lord of my body and my physical health. Lord of my spirit and all my worship. Lord of my family and all of my relationships. Lord of my sexuality in its expression, Lord of all of my work and service for you, Lord of my material goods and my needs, Lord of all my finances, Lord of all my emotions and all my reactions, Lord of my will and all my decisions, Lord of the manner and time of my death, thank you that your blood was shed that I might be set free. Amen. Father, we know that you hear the cry of your children. And we cry out tonight in the name of Jesus for the healing that you sent your son to seek. 
Lord, I ask, would you just trim off the words that I just can't stand these respectful disputes. Every place that your Holy Spirit is speaking, please make it so clear to us so that we can follow your footsteps. And I ask for your people, Lord, that you would break through. Break through in the places that we're asking and break through in the places where we don't even know how to ask. But we shall ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We're going to take a 15-minute break, and we're going to come back. I don't know how we're going to call you back, but uh, come back in 15 minutes, and Matt's going to open God's Word and really start to unpack kind of initial keys to go to the next step, okay? If you have a question, please talk to one of our team or visit the girls at the book table because there may be some resources there that can lend you a hand.